1: You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings 12, this is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Joining me for our Blue Friday episode, my co-host, Nick Lee, glad to have you on board, getting ready for an exciting weekend with NFL championship games. Both matchups should be really good ones. we got an NFC West battle between the 49ers and the Rams for a berth to the Super Bowl. And on the other side, Joe Burrow going up against Patrick Mahomes. Again, two really good matchups. On today's show, we've got some exciting things on tap. We are going to be dishing out our final postseason awards, our Offensive, Defensive, and Special Teams Plays of the Year. For the Seahawks and we're also going to be looking at a few free agents that might come to the Seahawks based off of who they select as their defensive coordinator no pressure for Josh Snyder Pete Carroll and company glad to have you on board as always and thanks for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen Five days a week. Now, for your lead story here on Locked on Seahawks. Speaking of that defensive coordinator vacancy, Nick, it's now been almost two weeks since the Seahawks fired Ken Norton Jr., made it official on their website. And yet, we really, aside from hearing a few reported interview requests, have not heard much. And honestly, it shouldn't come as a surprise based on what I was told they were going to be moving slowly with this process, finding a replacement for Ken Norton Jr. They weren't going to rush into it. And when they made that move, a course, of the league needed a head coach. And so they're still in that process where they're letting the dust settle a little bit. The good news is that there have been a few hirings now made. And this first cycle of head coaching hires, it looks like the candidates that have been reported out there, Sean Desai, former Bears Defensive coordinator at Donatel, formerly the Denver Broncos, has also been a coordinator for a couple other teams in the NFL, as well as Joe Witt Jr. It looks like with the things that have transpired this week that the Seahawks should really be able to pick whoever they want from that litter, that all these guys should be available at this point.
0: Yeah, the guys that have – there's been truly some substance between them and the Seahawks. Yeah, you're right. They should have the pick of the litter there because – um, you know, these these aren't the names that you're hearing are, are just getting interview after interview with head coaching jobs or, um, you know, maybe one or two will be poached uh, with some of the new guys that are coming in trying to pick their own staff. But, um, yeah, th- this is a good situation for the Seahawks. And, you know, this is going to happen in Seattle, but Seattle's a very calculated franchise. They're not reactionary. We know those we know those franchises that are very reactionary and uh, um, usually they're not playing this time of year. Um, and uh, it, it, the Seahawks, to their credit, have usually been very calculated and very, very uh, decision-oriented, and, and just and trying to make a good decision and trying to come to a good conclusion uh, as a franchise, and not rushing into things. And so I think this is playing out exactly how you expected, Corbin. Like you said, and mostly th- th- this is par for the course. I think for how Seattle does things, and I'd say that's usually uh, works out in their favor. And, and in this case, I think that they're going to have a, a solid shot at getting the guy they wanted originally well
1: based on what I've been told initially when I first found out about Ken Norton Jr. getting fired the first name that was thrown out was Clint Hurt who is still the defensive line coach and assistant head coach for the Seahawks I was told that he was the front runner but over the last few days I've been hearing some murmurs about Sean Desai the defensive coordinator of the Chicago Bears and what he did last season with a unit that was missing Khalil Mack and Akeem Hicks for more than half of the season, for them to produce the pressures and sacks they did to finish third in passing defense with the players that they had out. Yeah, they finished 23rd in, in scoring defense, but some of that had to do with the fact that they didn't have an offense that was supporting them at all, and they got put in a really bad spot. I thought Sean Desai did a fantastic job in his first season as a defensive coordinator in the NFL young coordinator that's just 37 years old and I don't see him being back in Chicago because the bears just hired Matt Eberflus who was the defensive coordinator for the Indianapolis Colts. And he is a Tampa two guy who actually was brought up under the coaching tree of Rod Marinelli. And it sounds like Marinelli now might be his defensive coordinator coming back to Chicago. So it doesn't sound like Desai is going to be back there. And then meanwhile, Looking at the other two openings that have been filled, the Buffalo, um, New York Giants getting Buffalo Bills coordinator, Brian Dable. That doesn't really impact this search at all for the Seahawks. But when you look at the Denver Broncos and their decision to bring in Nathaniel Hackett as their new head coach, he was the offensive coordinator for the Green Bay Packers. There's all kinds of talk about him coming to town. Now as Aaron Rodgers going to follow him to Denver? We'll have to see what happens on that front. But He's got a couple of close friends that are on the Rams coaching staff that have been linked to their defensive coordinator job. It seems unlikely that Ed Donatel is going to be brought back in Denver. So both Donatel and Desai should be free agents out of contract that aren't going to be retained by the new coaches at their respective teams. So both those coaches should be available as long as they're interested. You would think they would want an opportunity to coach in Seattle, especially Desai, an up-and-comer defensive coordinator a chance to play with some of the talent that they've got in seattle and donatel has coached with pete carroll at a couple of different spots and they're close friends so both those coaches would make a lot of sense and in dallas dan quinn deciding you know what i don't want to be a head coach this year not the right opportunity i'm going to stay as defensive coordinator that blocks joe witt jr from being promoted to defensive coordinator potentially so the Seahawks could make a run at him and say, hey, we've got a defensive coordinator job. If this is what you want to do, he has never been a coordinator before. That's going to present an opportunity that I don't think he's going to be able to pass up, and he's at least going to want to interview for it. So, again, you look at all three of those situations, the Seahawks should be able to get interviews. If they haven't already, they should be able to get interviews with all three of those candidates. And, of course, Clint Hurd is going to remain in the mix as well, but they have to like how things have played out because – Desai and Donatel aren't going to be back with their current teams. They're going to be moving on. And so that gives them a lot of flexibility to make sure they make the right hire.
0: Yeah. And what I like about this is that you mentioned Desai as a, as, a, as an up and comer. And, and also in that case with Joe Witt, I, I like them bringing in guys who have a bit of fire, a bit of um, things to prove. And also, you know, they're, they're anxious for, for a chance to really uh, blossom. And I, I think all three scenarios, but I think most, uh, Especially for Desai and Joe Witt, especially with Witt not having a chance yet to be a defensive coordinator, I love I love the Desai pick too. Um, just what he's done with guys like Eddie Jackson uh, in Chicago, who he's blossomed into, into very solid safety. And I can only imagine what a guy like Desai could do with with the Seahawks if they can bring back Quandre Diggs, arguably one of the better safety duos in the in football. And Quandre Diggs and Jamal Adams, you know, having him in the room with those guys after what he's done. In Chicago. And I, I just, I like the, the idea of hiring a guy that, that has a bit of the fire in the belly and not, not so I'm not a big, and this is, again, I said this last week, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of the Clinton Hurt thing. Nothing, absolutely nothing against Clinton Hurt as a person, as a coach. I just really feel like this franchise would benefit from an outside voice an outside set of eyes and a guy that's got a lot to prove.
1: Yeah. That outside perspective, I've talked about it ever since this move was made almost two weeks ago that yes, there are some good coaches on Seattle staff. I think Clint Hurt could be a good defensive coordinator, but it feels like there could be some repetition there. Now I will say this. I am still intrigued by the idea of doing a co-coordinator thing. If you could have a passing game oriented coordinator coming from the outside that could team up with Clint Hurt because Seattle's run defense has been outstanding the last couple of years. And I think a big reason for that is Clint Hurt. So if that would be enough to keep him from going to the University of Miami, his alma mater, where he's been linked as a defensive coordinator candidate. If being a co-coordinator is enough to keep him in Seattle, and you can lure somebody like Desai or Donatel, who has a passing game, cornerback safety background, team those together with Pete Carroll. Some might argue that's too many cooks in the kitchen, but there have been instances where this has worked in the NFL. Sometimes they don't have the co-coordinator tags, but that's ultimately how it plays out. I could see the Seahawks maybe going that route. I'd still say we're probably going to be seeing a sole coordinator, but that is an option that's on the table. And I just like the candidates that they've got here. Again, we don't know which ones they've interviewed, if they've interviewed any of them at all at this point. It's been pretty quiet on that front, but I would expect now that we're seeing some of these head coaching jobs getting filled up across the league, and there's going to be several more, I think, filled in the next few days. I would think the Seahawks are going to start moving much more quickly trying to get that vacancy filled. Now they have a better idea which coaches could be available to them to fill that spot. When we come back here in the second quarter, we have gone through all kinds of awards at this point, MVP, Offensive Player of the Year, Defensive Player of the Year, you name it. It's time for our last postseason awards segment here of the offseason. Nick and I are going to be dishing out our top offensive, defense, and special teams plays From the 2021 season, make sure to check out an incredible app everyone who buys gas needs to know about. It's called Get Upside. My listeners are earning cash back for every gallon of gas every time they fill up. Just download the free Get Upside app in the App Store or Google Play right now. Use the promo code TOUCHDOWN for $0.25 per gallon on your first fill up. That's automatic cash back. Don't pay full price of the pump anymore. Get cash back using GetUpside. Just download the app for free and use the promo code TOUCHDOWN for $0.25 cents per gallon on your first tank. Some people who drive a lot are making as much as two to $300 a year in cash back, and there's absolutely no catch. The cash back gets added right to your account. You can cash out on your bank account, PayPal, and e-gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free GetUpside app and use the promo code TOUCHDOWN to get $0.25 cents per gallon on your first tank. BetOnline would like to wish you a happy new betting year as we continue our march towards the playoffs and beyond. BetOnline remains the top spot for all the best sports wagering action in 2022. It's a new year, and they've got a new updated desktop and mobile website. So sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit using the promo code On. From football, basketball, hockey, boxing, and UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for 2022. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all of your sports. Bet online where the game starts. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Blue Friday edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me for today's episode, my co host, Nick Lee. Thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. It's Super Week brought to you by Get Upside, and there's no better place to get coverage of the big game then the locked on NFL podcast locked on NFL will be in LA all week covering the big game next weekend. So you won't want to miss it. Find it on all major platforms where you can download for free. Continuing our postseason Seahawks awards, we've covered everything from MVP to offensive player of the year, comeback player of the year, the biggest surprise, you name it. All that's left are the best plays from the 2021 season. And obviously it's a little tougher when you talk about a team that finished seven and 10, like the Seahawks did this year, but yet there were still so many highlight reel worthy plays made on both sides of the football. So this should be really interesting. We actually had a panel from the Seahawk Maven put together our plays and we posted it throughout this week. A lot of different ideas on top plays. So I'm curious to see where you go with this. Let's start on offense. The best offensive play of 2021 for the Seattle Seahawks what would be your pick
0: well it's kind of weird to go all the way back to week 4 especially when you know that was a pre-injury for Russell Wilson and, and things were still you know th- th- that seems like ages ago <laughs> um but you know the Seahawks were were playing in San Francisco and for me it's that week 4 game in, in against the 49ers now competing for the NFC championship the Seahawks swept the Niners and I'm just going to keep pressing that to, that nugget there Um, that, that touchdown pass from Russell Wilson to Freddie Swain was, you know, that was classic Russell Wilson. You know, he, he's the magician and he's, he, he was that he's, he's that quarterback. You always feel like you have a chance. You're always in every game. You're never out completely out of the game or a season if he's the quarterback for the entire year. And this is just one of those plays. And, and especially when you got guys like Nick Boza. And guys, barreling down on on Russell Wilson, he gets out of at least one sack. I think it was a couple sacks and just rolls to his right and fires an absolute strike to Freddie Swain in the corner of the end zone for a touchdown. Just everything was perfectly vintage Russ. I know it's not maybe the most influential play of the year, but just for me, that was like Russell Wilson's still an elite quarterback. There is absolutely no question in my mind because... Not every quarterback can make a play. There's maybe four or five quarterbacks in the entire NFL that can make a play like that, shedding sacks, rolling, and then just not not just rolling right and firing touchdown. But he got some mustard behind that throw, and that, that to me was just an, a testament to that the fact that Russell Wilson is still elite.
1: Yeah, that was one of my contenders for the award, but I've got to go with another player that maybe had a somewhat disappointing season by his standards statistically but he still showed with certain plays what kind of an elite talent he is. So I'm going way back to week seven, not not as far back as you went, but when Geno Smith was starting for the Seahawks in place of an injured Russell Wilson, DK Metcalf going up against Marshawn Lattimore, who I think is one of the top five corners in the NFL, and he's one of the few corners that I think physically can match up with a freak like DK Metcalf. And yet in this game, Metcalf owned him for the first score of the game. And Geno Smith made a pretty good throw, not a perfect throw necessarily, but he allowed his receiver Metcalf at 6'4", 230 pounds, to be able to high point the football. Marshawn Lattimore tries to tackle him by the ankles and fails miserably. Metcalf slips out. Marcus Williams, a Pro Bowl caliber safety, comes in, and Metcalf throws a stiff arm, and he's gone, showing off that – Amazing track speed at his size to race down the sidelines, and at that point the Seahawks were up seven nothing. It's in prime time. You're thinking, hey, maybe they can get this victory over the Saints. They can crawl closer to being in the wild card race. Unfortunately, that was about the only offensive highlight in that entire game. They weren't able to score. They had one other field goal in the game. They lost thirteen to ten, and just couldn't get anything going. But at least in that time being, they were able to make the big play, and that showcased the unique skill set that DK Metcalf has so that was one of the most exciting plays that happened all year regardless of win or loss seeing Metcalf take the top off of a very good Saints defense I mean yeah when you get two
0: catches for 96 yards that's kind of a, that's kind of an odd statistic there uh for the for the game against the Saints but boy that, that's just one of those that got it was that that Katy Perry song the one that got away that's <laughs> certainly a game that got away. That that's that's one that you wish you had back, especially as maybe the Seahawks are two games go the other way. The Seahawks are maybe in the hunt there in the end and get a playoff spot, but Metcalf had a solid year despite all the turmoil, and that was
1: another testament to that. Let's talk defense now. Defensive player of the year. This was one that I had three plays that I was just agonizing over when I was trying to make this selection. I thought about the magnitude of the games. You know, the clutch rating for the plays because you can't really say that Metcalf catch was clutch, it was at the beginning of the game. But I was thinking from a defensive perspective, which plays really were the most important ones for the Seahawks this year? And there were a few of them that jumped out. Which one was your defensive play of the year, Nick? Well, I'm going to go to the other win against the 49ers.
0: <laughs> That's if you're sensing a theme here, um, not, not only against a, a rival, but a team that all, all of a sudden is one win away from the Super Bowl in the San Francisco 49ers. And, you know, I've watched football a long dang time, a lot of football games, college, you know, high school, NFL, what, what have you. I can't remember too many second half game tying safeties. I, I just, usually when a safety happens at the beginning of the game, I don't know, something weird, you know, like the Super Bowl, uh, Super Bowl 48, like weird thing is 2 nothing, or all of a sudden it's, you know, 7-2, to two. But in the second half, in such a clutch moment, the Carlos Dunlap safety against Jimmy Garoppolo was one of the more exciting plays, I think, of the whole year, regardless of defense, offense, whatever. I just it was 20 they were it was uh it was a game, it was it was 23-21, uh 49ers, right? Yeah. And uh they they were looking to maybe put up put a score up and, and go up by two scores if they were able to get out of the out of their own end zone there. And grabbed down the field, and uh, Carlos Dunlap had uh, had different ideas, and that that safety was a huge moment. Talk about a momentum swing! Not only do you sack, you know, get a, get a sack and kill a drive, but you get two points and you tie the game in the second half. I mean, that's how often does that happen? I don't need to go to like Elias Sports Bureau or something to to figure that out because I don't, I really doubt that's happened a lot.
1: Yeah, that was a rare play, and that's why I picked it as my defensive play of the year, too. I just think the magnitude of that win, too, because the Seahawks came into that game with a 3-8 and record. They were really struggling to find ways to close out games. They just lost a bunch of games in a row after Russell Wilson came back from his injury. So at that point, they were basically out of the playoffs, even though they were not mathematically eliminated. They were out of it. The 49ers were coming in, and at the time, I thought that was going to be a devastating loss for the 49ers, and sure enough, they're going to be playing for a chance to get in the Super Bowl this weekend. I just never would have saw that coming when the Seahawks were able to hold them off and win that game, but they don't win that game without that spectacular play from Carlos Dunlap, bull rushing the backup right tackle Compton into the backfield, and then I don't know if he got away with a face mask there or not. The more I look at it, it looks like he might have got a piece of Jimmy Garoppolo's face mask, but they didn't flag it, and so ends up getting a huge sack in the end zone to tie the game. Seahawks score a touchdown later and end up winning 30-23, to 23. so a really rough year, but they did sweep the 49ers. That was easily the biggest bright spot for an otherwise disappointing season, And now maybe the toughest one of the three, because special teams were to the Seahawks were best this year. They were, again, one of the best special teams units in the NFL. And it just seemed like they had an uncharacteristic number of highlight reel plays that this unit made this year. And so that made this an agonizing choice for me. I actually had to whittle this down to five plays. And then from there, I kind of wanted to just start flipping coins to eliminate because it was that many outstanding plays made by Seattle special teams.
0: Yeah, if they, if they handed out awards for most exciting special teams units, the, the Seahawks would probably be the runaway winner. Um, unless you count the 49ers doing that to the Packers in, in the in the uh, divisional game there. But yeah, I, I had a hard time too. This was easily my my toughest decision. I know um, there's people out there who were, were maybe the most viral moments not only of maybe the of the special teams for the Seahawks, but of the Seahawks season in general was the double punt by Michael Dixon. But that was not mine, but that was certainly a candidate for sure. Mine came in the same game against the 49ers. <laughs> kind of set the tone, really, because I remember tweeting after it, like, hey, you're three and eight. What the heck? Fake a punt. And Travis Homer not only faked a punt and got a first down, but ran 73 yards to the house I don't think he was touched. If he was touched, it wasn't by much. And that was a game that, that was, I think that set the tone like, Hey, we're kind of out of the playoff race. And we're telling the 49ers, we're kind of out of the playoff race, but we're going to be a headache today. We're, we're just, we're going to empty the cabinets. We're going to empty the mag. We're, we're going to, we're coming at you because we got nothing to lose. And boy, we, we all know that's a dangerous team to play when a team has nothing to lose. And I think the Seahawks played like that against that, that 49ers that last 49ers game. And, That Travis Homer fake punt really set the tone. I don't think they win that game without that fake punt. I think that that installed some juice, especially when you look around and man, there's a lot of 49ers fans all of a sudden infesting Lumen Field, and you know it it more so than than in the past. And and uh, you you wanted that you wanted them to get you wanted to silence them and get your own fans riled up really fast. And boy, they certainly did that with that fake punt by Travis Homer, and it was a great run. And he's had a couple really cool special teams trick plays over his Seahawks career. But this, I think, was was his best.
1: I had to whittle this down. Like I said, I had five plays I was considering, and then I narrowed it down to three. I had the Homer fake punt touchdown run, which was exhilarating, and it was the perfect time to run it with the front that the 49ers ran. He did an excellent job calling his number there. Seahawks showing that their good faith in him to make a good decision there ends up paying off. Homer also returned an onside kick for a touchdown to put the dagger in the Jaguars in week eight. That was another play that you just don't see happen very often onside kicks getting returned for touchdowns. That's a very rare play in NFL history, but in the end, I've got to go with a simple tackle and it's, maybe it's just me being biased because I was in the press box and I experienced something that I had never experienced in the press box before. Even last year, when there were no fans in the stands, I couldn't recall an instance where a hit was so loud that you could hear it reverberate in the press box. There was a play this year on special teams in week two, though, where I'm telling you that happened. Nick Bellore coming screaming downfield and... I, I could see Chester Rogers' soul just come flying out of his body. It almost looked like no way home, no spoilers. But it looked like his body, his soul was coming out of it when he got drilled by Nick Ballore. And you could hear the noise in the press box. There were other reporters looking around like, whoa, what just happened? That was one of the best tackles I saw, defense or special teams for any team in the NFL this year. And I just feel like Nick Ballore is such an incredible special teams player. Travis Homer doesn't have that long touchdown run on that fake punt without that late block by Nick Belor to seal and open up a big lane for him. He doesn't score on that play, I don't think. There were so many other plays that he impacted on special teams, forcing fumbles, blowing people up, but that one jumps out in particular and just the fact that you could hear the thud from his pad smacking the returner in the press box in a full stadium at that. Uh, everybody, the oohs and ahs that you heard in that stadium, it was it was awesome. It was one of my favorite plays all year. So I couldn't pick the two uh, touchdowns that Travis Homer had, as great a play as they were, over that sensational hit stick that Nick Bellore delivered against the Titans in week two. One of my favorite plays the entire season. We talked defensive coordinators in the first quarter. We're going to zoom back to defensive coordinators for our free agency Friday segment here in a moment. Which players... Might the Seahawks be able to lure out to the Pacific Northwest if they pick each of these defensive coordinator candidates It's going to be an exciting conversation looking forward to it. It's the new year. So that means New Year's resolutions. If yours is about getting fit or eating healthier, make sure you include Built Bar in your plan. Bilt Bar is a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar, maybe even better than a candy bar. Built Bar makes it easier to stick to your resolution because it tastes so good, you'll want to eat it. And unlike other protein bars that can be chalky, waxy, or taste like a chemical spill, you don't have to worry about it because this is 100% real chocolate, delicious. It makes it easy for you to stick with your New Year's resolution. Most Built Bars contain 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, 4 net carbs, and 17 grams of protein. Compare that to a candy bar, which usually has 240 calories, 30 grams of sugar, and dozens of net carbs. Even if you're not a huge fan of working out, you can at least eat something that tastes good and is good for you. That way, when you enjoy delicious built Bar, you can almost count it as a workout. There are so many delicious flavors that you can pick from coconut almond, my personal favorite peanut butter, brownie, cookies and cream, salted caramel, Built is always coming out with new delicious flavors so check out built.com often to see what's new. Visit built.com and use the promo code LOCK15 and get 15% off your order. That's LOCK15 for 15% off at built.com. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast. I'm your host Corbin Smith. Joining me for our Blue Friday episode, Nick Lee. Thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. It's free agency Friday. We kicked things off last week just ranking our Seahawks unrestricted free agents into tiers. Now we're going to have our first opportunity to start looking at some players who may be available from other teams that would interest the Seahawks. And we're going to take a little different angle with this. Going off the first quarter, we don't know who the Seattle Seahawks are going to pick as a successor to Ken Dorton Jr. at the defensive coordinator position. It could be Clint Hurt, their defensive line coach, or it could be one of the outside candidates that's been reported, Sean Desai for the Bears, Ed Donatel from the Denver Broncos, or Joe Witt Jr. from the Dallas Cowboys. Maybe there's another candidate that will emerge as well. But with the ones that we know, this is something that really intrigues me, Nick. All three of these coaches would be coming from a team that has at least one high-profile defensive free agent that they could try to lure to come out to the Pacific Northwest with them. And there's a couple pass rushers on this list. So it really intrigues me how the Seahawks could benefit not only bringing in some new perspective, new ideas in terms of coaching, they might be able to add some talent to the defensive side of the football as a benefit, an added benefit of the selection they make at defensive coordinator.
0: Yeah, I really think that's a that's a cool way to put it because it's uh, it that happens a lot. You know, players get attached to different coaches, especially coordinators, who they work closer with normally than the head coach, unless you know they they specify in that position or that that group. Um, and you look up and down the board, and, and the, the Seahawks are probably in 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 good in good shape. Whoever they hire, um, but starting in Ed Donatel with his ties to the Denver Broncos, obviously, I think the first one that jumps out to me. Um, is a guy that's not on the Broncos anymore. In fact, he's he's competing for an NFC championship this weekend. That's Vaughn Miller. And I know that uh, that that that, uh, that name certainly brings a lot of of notoriety cuz we, we I don't need to list off, you know, his his accomplishments, but I will anyway, you know. Eight Pro Bowls, three All-Pros, Super Bowl 50 MVP. Um he's named to the uh 2010s decade all all decade team. I mean, we're talking about a future Hall of Famer in Von Miller. I don't think there's any doubt about that. And I know people are like, oh, what about the scheme? You know, I, I think if they bring in that Donatel and that relationship is, is as healthy as we assume it is between him and Von Miller, I would imagine they'll probably make that try to work. You know, if you can bring in Von Miller, you're not going to pass it up because like, oh, uh, you know, he's not a fit for our, you bring in a future hall of famer.
1: Yeah. You know, it's interesting because some fans will be listening to the show and be like, we're tired of bringing in older players that are in the latter stage of their career. And you can make that argument with Von Miller, but you look at what he has done for the Rams over their last six or seven games, he has been racking up sacks left and right. This is still a guy that can be a menace off the edge. And I think you put him with Carlos Dunlap and Daryl Taylor, and you have that trio of edge rushers. It just immediately makes this this pass rush a top 10 group. And we thought they were going to be really good last season, but they were just – they were missing that electric guy off the edge that really has savvy technique and is a nuisance off the edge. I mean, Daryl Taylor showed flashes of it, but he's still an unpolished player. Von Miller, you're not going to have that problem with, especially if he's got a new player to learn team. from for Taylor. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He can play the mentor role. So I don't know that it happens or not, but I think if you do bring in Ed Donatel as your defensive coordinator, it at least gives you a chance. You now have a coach that has been with Von Miller before, and Von Miller, I don't know that he's going to be able to go back to the Rams because they have salary cap issues with their current roster. They can't just buy everybody. So I think there's a good chance that he could end up in Seattle. The Denver Broncos also have a couple corners in Kyle Fuller, not the center that the Seahawks had. Corner, Kyle Fuller, uh, as well as Bryce Callahan. Both of those players have started a lot of games in the National Football League. They had plenty of success playing for Ed Donatel in Denver. Fuller had kind of a disappointing season last year for the Broncos, but he's got a very good track record. He had a seven-interception season with the Bears. And I'll bring his name up again, I'm sure, here in a moment because there's another coach on our list that has a connection with him as well uh, with both of those guys. They both played for the Chicago Bears at one point. So it's interesting. All three of those players, I would be surprised if the Seahawks go the corner route just because of their history with veteran corners. It's not good. Under Pete Carroll, they've been much better off when they have brought in corners through the draft that they can develop and teach technique to. It's much tougher to do that with veterans. But Von Miller's the one that intrigues me there. Now going to our second candidate here, Sean Desai, as I mentioned, he's been with the Bears since 2013. He has survived through three coaching staff changes, which is why I was kind of sitting back like, I don't know if he's going to leave Chicago because it feels like it doesn't matter who the head coach is. He's going to be on the staff. It doesn't look like at least at this moment that that's going to happen with Matt Eberflus though, as the new head coach. And you look at his history, he was a secondary coach for the bears for a few years before becoming a defensive coordinator. Who were some of the players he coached? Kyle Fuller in Chicago had a seven interception season when he was involved with coaching the secondary Bryce Callahan had some good seasons in Chicago. Eddie Jackson became an all-pro safety in part because of the coaching of Sean Desai. And so those first two names I mentioned could be free agents. If they want to go to corner out. they certainly could. They could bring in one of those players that would fit into their new defensive coordinator system and know how to maximize those players' strengths. But I'm most interested in the trenches. And those that have listened to our show for a long time, they know that I view Akeem Hicks as an elite defensive talent in the trenches. This is a 330-pound defensive tackle that can play big end. He's had eight-and-a-half and 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 seven-and-a-half sack seasons at 330 pounds. You just don't see guys that size that can defend the run and also be that prodigious of pass rushers. And that's what Akeem Hicks is going to bring you, a guy that a couple years ago had 21 quarterback hits, That's unheard of for a player of his size. Just the positional versatility, all-around skill set, getting to be an older player. But he might be the diamond of these players that you could potentially sway to come out to Seattle based on the defensive coordinator you pick because he can move all over the line. We know the success Pete Carroll's had with those kind of defensive linemen over the years, and he's been a pro bowler. I think he's been very underrated in that regard. Should be a multiple-time pro bowler. I think he's only made one pro bowl team. Has been a second team all pro before, just an outstanding player that I think would be a great fit. Mixing him with Puna Ford, Carlos Dunlap, Daryl Taylor, sign me up now.
0: Yeah, and, and when the Seahawks drafted LJ Collier in the first round, I, th- I think that their pipe dream was that he would turn into Keem Hicks. <laughs> I just think that's he he's he's yeah, like you mentioned the versatility, he's been productive, he's really. Aside from 2019, he missed a few a few games, and then this year missed a few games. He had one, two, three, four out of the last six years. He has played at least 15 games, so he's he's actually stayed pretty healthy, besides a, a nick or two here. Um, he's been available. 2018 Pro Bowler. I, I'm a huge fan as well. The 21 quarterback hits that just jumps off the page. Yep. This year he had nine. He's actually gotten. He has. Uh, he's he has two years of at least 20 quarterback hits, so you know he knows how to get to the quarterback. And we, we all know that there's there, there's like a there's like an un it's an unseen skill to finish sacks, to get to the quarterback and, and to time it right. Guys, some some guys can almost get there and be really productive and be really good pass rushers and really good defenders, but just don't don't have that finish. But man, when you're hitting the quarterback at that rate, I, I think that that that's a really great skill. And and anytime, even if you're not sacking the quarterback, we all know if you can hit him. If you can harass them, especially some of the quarterbacks that are in the NFC West, I think that the quarterbacks that the Seahawks are going to face twice here, you got Jimmy G maybe next year, Matthew Stafford, and Kyla Murray. Those are guys that are pretty darn good quarterbacks. But if you start putting the hit on them, I don't think they're so good anymore. And so you got to get guys like Akeem Hicks in there that can
1: rough them up a bit. Looking at the last candidate here that we've had a chance to discuss, Joe Witt Jr., secondary coach for the Cowboys, again, has never been a defensive coordinator. But he and Dan Quinn helped transform that Cowboys defense into the number one turnover-generating defense in the league last year. He's had great success with corners and safeties, creating picks in Green Bay in the past. So that is an area the Seahawks struggled this past season. You know Pete Carroll wants to get back to being a top five, top ten turnover-creating defense. So maybe Joe Witt Jr. could be the guy to bring that to Seattle I don't know that they offer, from Dallas' perspective, the same players that you could sway to come out to Seattle. Randy Gregory has always been a big-time talent, but we know his history of being suspended for drug use. He's also been a knucklehead on the field, making crucial mistakes. Just look back at their playoff loss to the 49ers a few weeks ago, made some critical mistakes in that game. So he just – I don't know that he would be a good fit. Dorrance Armstrong, another pass rusher that they have, they kind of struggled his first three years in the league, had five sacks – and double-digit quarterback hits this year. He might be a player you can take a flyer on as a rotational pass rusher that you can sprinkle in with Daryl Taylor, Alton Robinson and company, replace Benson Mayoa and Kerry Hyder with a younger, more athletic defensive end. That's a possibility. So those two guys, and I think one of their names, Demonte Casey, who was a safety for Dan Quinn with the Falcons, as well as with the Cowboys last year. He's had kind of an up and down career, but he's been able to start a lot of football games. He's been a ball hawk at times, has created turnovers. He knows the scheme well. So he might be a player that if somehow Quandre Diggs doesn't come back, I believe the Seahawks have to make him the number one priority. I'd even franchise tag him if he's at risk of losing him. But if somehow Quandre Diggs isn't back, then Casey might be a player that makes some sense. From a schematic standpoint, at least be a short-term fit at that free safety spot if you lose Quandre Diggs. So those are a few names I'd throw out there that might potentially tag team if somehow Joe Witt becomes the new Seahawks defensive coordinator.
0: Yeah, I, I'm I've I'm not a huge fan of Randy Gregory. I I understand the 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 huge ability. He's kind of in the Greg Hardy part of me. And I I, I know that might bring up some some different subjects later, but Greg <laughs> Hardy. Um uh, uh, uber talent, you know, other worldly talent, just an idiot. And <laughs> I'm sorry, but, um, and Randy Gregory has made some very idiotic plays on the field, like you mentioned, and, uh, is, is can't, can't stay away from some illegal substances off the field. And so I, I'm staying away. I know that there's some, there's some huge talent and, and certainly some need there. Cause if you can just bottle up his production on the field and his talents and his abilities, and it kind of Wash away everything else. Heck, he'd be one of the better pass rushers, I think, in the NFL. But that's not the case. That's not the reality of, of what what's going on. Dorrance Armstrong, if I, he had. I'm I'm a little wary also of the guy that all of a sudden has five sacks after pretty much zero production for the first few years. Um, Demonte Casey, I think, is another one. I might be biased because he's a San Diego guy, <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, he, he's uh, he's certainly a, a a worthy hedge insurance. Yeah, if you somehow lit Quandre Diggs walk, he he certainly wouldn't be, I don't think, a liability in center field at free, free safety. I think this year his numbers, his coverage numbers are all right. Um, it, it passer rating allowed, yeah, 85.8 passer rating allowed, which isn't the worst. Um, you, you could certainly do worse than that. So um, yeah, th- n- none of the Cowboys ones really stir a lot of emotions for me. I, I think the big names obviously are, are Akeem Hicks, Von Miller, maybe one of those corners uh, like Kyle Fuller, if if the, the Seahawks want to go that route. But I 100% agree with your take on the veteran corners. And I actually really think the Seahawks, if they can retain a couple of their pending free agents in DJ Reed and Sidney Jones, I actually think the Seahawks might be pretty satisfied with their corner room position. Um, so I think that the
1: big names probably to watch on this list are probably Akeem Hicks and Von Miller. If they can take in Ed Donatel or Sean Desai and they can bring in a player like Von Miller or Akeem Hicks to bolster that defensive line. That's the type of splash they have not made in free agency the last three or four years, and we have been calling for it, that you need to get some game-changing talent to supplement this roster, and they haven't done it in free agency. Those would be the kind of splashes that would get Seahawks fans excited, and for good reason – And so, again, that might be an added benefit of hiring somebody like Sean Desai or Ed Donatel that has those connections with star players that will be available on the free agent market. So that's going to be very fascinating. We'll be able to dive into this more once we know who is going to replace Ken Norton Jr. Again, at this point, it's anyone's guess which of the four candidates. It might be somebody we haven't talked about yet. Maybe Wink Martindale will throw his hat in the ring. Who knows? But once we have an idea who the new play caller is going to be on the defensive side of the football then we can take a much closer look at which players might decide to come out to the Pacific Northwest with them and help bolster this defense. As always, thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. You can follow me on Twitter, Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Nick at Nick lee 51 Make sure to check out Locked On Seahawks on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and of course, you can find us on YouTube. Five days a week. When we come back on Monday, Rob rang and I are going to break down some of our thoughts from NFL championship weekend, and we're going to start taking a look at positional groups. We're going to be looking at the defensive tackle group. Next, we looked at quarterbacks and defensive ends already. Get a look at the state of the defensive tackles group coming out of 2021, heading into the offseason. Enjoy your weekend. Enjoy the playoff games. Go Hawks. Hey, prime members.